Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to this episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm Clarissa Christensen, and today there's a good motto, a very ancient motto, which says, let foods be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. Mm-hmm. It's claimed that Hippocrates said that. I'm not quite sure that he did when I was looking at that, but it certainly is the importance of our diet to our well-being, particularly, I think, in perimenopause, how it can really shift lots of aspects of how we feel, our long-term health, and also, uh, obviously, our weight. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Leslie Kasanoff. She is a holistic chiropractor, and she has a lot of expertise also around nutrition, women's health, and women's wellness. So I'm very excited to have you on the show, Leslie. Well, thanks. It's great to be here. That's wonderful. Um, Yeah, we're going to talk about diet and lifestyle (laughs) and many factors, but maybe we should start with your own menopause story. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) If I care to remember it, which sometimes I don't. (laughs) But yeah, it, it is really what made the shift for me moving into more of health coaching and consulting rather than just chiropractic. Because when I was going through the whole perimenopause thing, I had, well, we all seem to be going through this thing in life during that time too. So here I was, I had an 18 year old son who was accepting responsibilities about as well as a 12 year old. (laughs) And I had an 11 year old daughter uh, who had some of her own issues. And I was in an always contentious marriage And I was running two chiropractic practices and trying to sell one of them, which never happened because it was 2008, but that's another story for another time. So in the midst of all this, I'm going through the whole perimenopause thing, having a really tough time with the brain fog and the hot flashes and the night sweats and the temper flares and just the whole nine yards. And finally, I said, I got to do something. Mm. And... A medical doctor who knew my orient that my orientation was was more natural said, "Well, why don't we put you on bioidentical hormones?" And I said, mm-hmm. "Okay." And I didn't do my research, and they started to work. But in two months, I gained twenty pounds. 
Not an unusual story, yeah. Leslie, in that. And, no. You know, so, so you're talking to somebody who is five foot three. And even when I was pregnant, you know, if I weighed over 150 pounds, that was a lot. You know, so yeah. I know my, my typical weight was more like 120. And all of a sudden, here I am 20 pounds heavier and looking at my at what happened to my mother during menopause and saying, I'm not going there. <laughs> no. So that's when I went down the tunnel and started doing the research and figured out the, the connection between food and lifestyle and getting off the hormones and just kind of took it from there, put, put together a system, you know, that worked for me and then started working for other women. Yeah. Interesting because that was not what you expected was going to happen. No, not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> But as I said, you know, this is something I think we're hearing more and more about mm-hmm. that women get placed on hormones and next minute some some of their symptoms go. That's there's no doubt some of them do go, but they seem to gain other things that they don't expect. Exactly. And that's you know, that's kind of the whole story with with modern medicine as a as a broad stroke general thing because it only addresses the symptoms it doesn't address the underlying cause of the problem no no it it well it doesn't i mean it says you've got this take that fix that mm-hmm. but <laughs> underneath mm-hmm. what is really going on exactly yeah so yeah. yeah so then you know once i was able to kind of resolve it through diet and lifestyle and food changes and all that, the weight came off and it stayed off and I got my energy back, got my brain power back and kind of shifted all of what I was doing so I could help other women with the same thing. Exactly. Wow. That was big. And did you stay on the hormones or did you stop? No, I stopped the hormones in a matter of months. No, because there, there was no way, like I said, I gained 20 pounds in two months and even though we lowered the, we tried lowering the dose, I was still gaining weight. And I said, this is not going to work for me because, you know, I, I was, I was visualizing myself at 200 pounds. And I was like, I'm not having any part of that. No, no. <laughs> and, and you hadn't changed your diet at that stage at all. Well, I had been vegetarian for most of my life but very, very heavy into dairy products. And that was the big right. switch was doing the research and realizing that guess what? Dairy comes from a cow, usually a pregnant cow. Guess what it's loaded with? Hormones, naturally hormones. occurring hormones. You know, in here yeah. in the States, they also add hormones. They also inject hormones into yes. the cows to make them produce more milk in yes. some of the, you know, the commercial dairies. And I know they don't do that as much in Europe, but no. we don't think about the fact that, that there are actually naturally occurring hormones in those dairy products. And not only that, there are a whole mix of other hormones and those hormones are basically designed to turn a cute little 40 pound calf into a thousand pound cow in a year. 
Mm-hmm. And when you look at that, it's like, is what is natural. that doing to us? Yeah, not a question enough people are asking, yeah. Leslie. But yes, and I mean, we've had the same conversations as well around hormone-injected mm-hmm. beef, mm-hmm. which I know is very common in the U.S. and it certainly has also been fairly common in Australia, <clears throat> where you know, super, some supermarkets would then say, but we don't buy hormone containing beef. <laughs> Brazil, that's a fallacy. And, <laughs> that's a fallacy. And then Brazil and Argentina and all these places, wherever there yeah. is um, a mono um, production, whether that's a crop or, or a human then mm-hmm. uh, or an animal, that is definitely... Mm-hmm where it comes in the use of hormones right. and 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 don't and, and and don't get me started on brazil and burning down the rainforest to grow cows <laughs> which they do which is which exactly they they what's clear. killing our earth but that's another conversation yeah. for another time <laughs> it is <laughs> but they're all kind of linked into yeah. this mass production of of food so one of the steps you took then was in healing your gut was to walk away from, from dairy. Mm-hmm. Made a huge yeah, difference. Yeah, that's an interesting. Wow. And in what ways, Leslie? So, I'm sorry, what was that? In what ways did you notice the reduction in dairy or the removal of dairy? Well, for one, you know, the weight started coming off for another, I was able to balance the hormones and kind of get a sense of my brain power and my energy back. And so it just started making all the difference in the world. Wow. Yeah. And and that was all dairy. So that not just obviously milk, right. but cheeses and butters and right all the places where milk powder hangs out. Yeah. And, and you know, and and I can't say that it was easy, but I can say that it was worth it. You know, I I was a huge dairy addict. I was the person in the household who, if there was a half a gallon of ice cream in the freezer, which there frequently was most of my life, it called to me every night. You know, and I had to ha- I had to have that. <laughs> bowl of ice cream if there was ice cream in the freezer well yeah the funny thing is is that I quit dairy and my family didn't necessarily quit dairy but I was committed to the fact that I had been doing enough reading that I knew this was going to make a difference and the first month or two it was difficult but then all of a sudden I noticed that my kids would go out and buy ice cream and put it in the freezer and I wouldn't want it. <laughs> and that was amazing to me. <laughs> and, and, and you know, oh, yeah. here's the interesting thing, too, that I've now found out. You may or may not be aware of this, but dairy actually contains cor- compounds that are called casomorphines that have morphine-like activity and addiction capability to them. Wow. No, that's a new, that is a new one on me. Um, So they're actually milk 
derivatives? They're, they're actually part of what's in the dairy, yes. You can, you can oh. look at some of the recordings. You can find some recordings by Neil Barnard from the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine on, on that topic. You can find that kind of stuff on, on YouTube. Very well documented. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that and that explains why when ice cream is in our fridge, I want to eat yeah. it too, probably. Because <laughs> it makes you feel so good. Yeah, and it's so addictive. Yeah. 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 So I, I mean I'm not a big eater of, of dairy, but I've and I've noticed that that has gone down in the over the years mm-hmm. for me. And I always used to avoid it because of the mucus buildup. Oh, that was but, that um, was the other thing that I didn't really recognize until a couple of weeks into it, and I noticed I didn't have all that anymore. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. as a chiropractor, I, you know, it was funny. As a chiropractor, I always told people that that knew they had issues with dairy that they shouldn't consume dairy if it bothered them. But I wasn't taking my own medicine, so to speak, on that one because I didn't even recognize that I had a problem with it until I stopped it. And then all of a sudden it was like I could breathe again. Yeah, yeah. It's something I think I heard from a holistic practitioner in the UK. I mean, this is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It must be, must be close to 35 years yeah. ago. And she said, you know, you really mustn't, when you have a cold, consume dairy because it builds up and it makes all the mucus worse. And so I always took that message and then ate less and less dairy over the years. Mm-hmm. And now here in Sweden, although there's a lot of dairy consumption, it's I tend to eat more things like fermented kefirs and stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't eat... I don't eat as much ice cream. I don't eat big pieces of cheese mm-hmm. and things like that. They are a, a lesser part of my diet. Yeah. But a lot of people listening to this will say, well, what about calcium? Because perimenopausal women are obviously concerned about bone health. And they hear you saying this about dairy. I mean, how or how can people get the calcium or the other substances they need from a bone perspective. Well, first of all, let's back up a, a minute and let's take yeah. a look at some of the demographics. And the fact of the matter is that the cultures like the Northern Europeans and like the Americans that consume more dairy actually have a higher rate of osteoporosis. Now, if dairy <laughs> is the solution to that. Why is that so? And the people that have the lowest rates of osteoporosis are people in Southeast Asia, the Japanese, the Chinese, who for the most part don't consume dairy at all. Now, isn't that interesting? And it turns out that if you actually read the literature, you will find study after study after study that supports that dairy does not help with bone health. And a real good book that that I recommend to people is called Building Bone Vitality. And mm-hmm. it's a very well-researched book where, uh, where they basically outline that a lot of the problem is 
that we, when we have a very high protein diet, as we do in the Western world, what happens is it makes our, the pH of our system acidic. And so our body has to find a buffer for that. And the most perfect buffer that it has is calcium phosphate from your bones. So it pulls calcium phosphate out of your bones. It uses the phosphate for the buffer and it dumps your calcium into your urine and you pee it out and you end up with osteoporosis. And you also, if you're eating outside sources of calcium, like a lot of dairy and meat, you're going to deposit more calcium into your joints and end up with arthritis. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So the lower, the less animal protein that you eat, the less acidic your diet is. And the better off you are in terms of keeping that calcium where it belongs in your bones. And then there is calcium in your greens and your beans and all your other vegetables, because here's the thing, where does the cow get the calcium from? Grass. The grass, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Why do we have to go through the middleman? Oh, so, so true. Of course. I mean, it's so logical. And of course, there are other minerals that are much better for bone health too, like magnesium. Well, and we need, we need a bit of all of them. And so the big thing, the thing that I'm a big component, proponent of is basically a much more whole food based diet. So fruits, veggies, beans, whole unprocessed, unpulverized grains like your quinoa, your brown rice, your barley, your millet, your lentils, all that stuff. A little bit of nuts and seeds, you you need those for the healthy Mm -hmm. fats, but you don't need handfuls of them. And there are healthy fats in most of the beans anyway. So, you know, that's the basics of the ancient diet that has kept people like the Okinawans going to 105. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And a very simple diet that doesn't always have to be what we hear Mediterranean diet, because obviously that's not a natural diet for somebody no. who lives in Africa or Asia. It's more that it's grain, fruit, and veg Exactly. And, you know, and we've kind of bastardized the Mediterranean diet in that we think that Mediterranean diet is, is, is basically the Western diet with olive oil and cheese thrown into it, which is not at all what it is. No, no. And lots and lots of fatty fish. And no, it's not that at all. The the basic Mediterranean diet, if you look at people like the Sardinians or the Icarians in Greece, which are a couple of the cultures that still live to be ripe old ages, you know, they do use a little bit of sheep's milk cheese or goat's milk cheese, but they eat a whole lot less animal foods than we do. Yeah. And, you know, and if you look globally, you know, the Okinawans are still the ones that have it, the, you know, 
the ancient Okinawan diet is still the one is still the diet that's the best diet that keeps people living the longest and the healthiest. And the Okinawans, sixty yeah. percent of their diet is things like sweet potatoes and gourds. Yeah, interest so yeah. interesting, yeah. Uh, and of course we've seen a big shift in countries taking on Western diets, mm-hmm. and their health is now becoming much poorer Mm -hmm. than than it was previously and the health of our planet is becoming much poorer for it as well yeah Yeah. absolutely absolutely and one of the things you mentioned was you noticed a difference in your mental clarity in your brain fog Mm -hmm. is that something that um you see with your clients too as you change their diets it is And the thing of it is, what we now know about the gut microbiome is that it makes about 80% of all all of our hormones. And so all the hormones that help with our brain power are all made in our gut, our brain power and our moods. Yes. And the more we can feed that side of the cycle by eating more eating more vegetable products, more whole grains, more of those kinds of things that the food that's good for us is actually the food that's good for our gut microbiome. Yeah, Yeah. obviously. And we want a healthy microbiome. And I think um, I was hearing that there's been quite a big study now uh, released from the UK and the Zoe project about the microbiome and menopause and how important this is. Oh, well, you just taught me something that I need to look up. (laughs) (laughs) And they're based out of King's College London, and they've been doing a lot of of work um, on the gut microbiome. Uh Uh-huh. So I think it's exciting times for getting a much greater understanding of that and it's linked mm-hmm. to to brain. I mean, there's big big conversations about brain fog, um, moods, emotions, and mm-hmm. you know, just by what you said yeah. there, Leslie, I think we can know how much of that is in our gut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing. We we had no clue, and. And again, you know, one of the things that comes up about the gut microbiome is fermented food. And fermented food is is very good for the gut microbiome. And one of the keys is fermenting things that aren't dairy. So yeah, like kimchi. Like and kimchi and, and sauerkraut. And you know, and you can ferment any kind of vegetable, really. And yeah. and you can make non-dairy kefirs and yogurts and things of that nature too. Yes. Yes. And uh, they can. Yeah. Yes, definitely. And and yes. I've even been known to make my own nut cheeses that I actually throw that I'll sometimes throw a probiotic capsule in there and let them incubate for mm-hmm. a day or so. And it gives it a little bit more of that kind of acidy, dairy-ish flavor as well. Uh, yes. So, yes. 
Yeah. Really interesting. I think that's something we are still really learning about mm-hmm. microbiomes and mm-hmm. how much and how important because, you know, it feels like this is a conversation that I've been having quite a bit yeah. lately. Yeah. Gut microbiome, vaginal microbiome, skin microbiomes. Um as being essential yeah. to our health. And I think it's really key for people to take it one step at a time. You know, they can get easily overwhelmed. And and that's a lot of what I end up helping people with is, you know, how do I take what's what's the practicality of how do I start cooking and making making meals that are more plant-based. Yes. Yeah. And I think it is a big thing because we've probably grown up in a culture of meat and potatoes or wherever you come from. And suddenly we're, we're sort of a bit lost. And even I can still feel a bit lost in that (laughs) space, you know, even though I'm reasonably good with pulses and, and grains and Mm -hmm. I eat them daily. Mm -hmm. I still think personally that, um, Getting your whole family on board can be a bit challenging. It can, but then, but then again, you know, some and and it's going to be easier for people if their kids are younger. That's for sure because they, you know, they have less ability to to reject it. But you know, we we do the best that we can with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I remember someone once suggesting to me many years ago that I should have quinoa and I didn't know what quinoa was. (laughs) That was a long time ago. And I was like, what's this? What am I supposed to be feeding my child? I'm not sure my child is, is uh, open to that, Mm -hmm. but of course now he is, but he's an adult now. Yeah. Yeah. My kids actually really like quinoa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you talk a lot here, Leslie, also about work with your clients on this notion of getting down to your ideal weight mm-hmm. um, before you go into perimenopause. Yeah. That is a very interesting concept. I'd, I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Well, the thing is, is that fat cells actually feed into the estrogen cycle. So if you want to be able to balance your hormones better, you're going to, it's, you're going to have an easier time doing it if you don't have excess fat. And I know people find that, you know, I'm not, not fat shaming anybody. I, you know, it's, it, it's just, it's a basic scientific fat, fact that fat secrete fat makes a hormone called aromatase that basically converts other hormones, most namely testosterone into estrogen. And so the more fat cells you have, the more that happens. Yes. And, and as we get older, you know, all of those hormones are shifting anyway, and we need that little bit of testosterone in there. That's, what's going to help us maintain a lot of our, of our other functions that we need in terms of, you know, libido and things like that. Um, there's a big influence there. Yes, of course, muscle mass as muscle well. Mass. But yes, but um, so getting down your weight down is an important part of 
you know, not being out of balance, yeah. I think is yeah. what you're saying, Leslie. I think yeah. for most I think for most women in our society, if they could get the weight down and they could eliminate or nearly eliminate dairy before they go into me- before they go into perimenopause, I think it would be they'd have a much easier time of it. Because if you look at societies like again the Japanese who are known when they're eating a traditional Japanese diet for being thin. They don't have, they don't even have a word for menopause in their language because there's, they don't go through the process the same as we do. They don't have as hard of a time. No, they they definitely don't. I think that, well, they certainly don't have some of the common symptoms like the hot flashes that, 80% 80% of uh, Western women yeah. have. Yeah. And um, they don't just don't seem to suffer right. in the same way. Um, and, and that's obviously due to the fact that they're a lot, they're a lot slimmer. Their diet is, is so grain-based and vegetable and, and, and seaweed and mm-hmm. soy-based. Yeah. I mean, soy has been, often been controversial, but I hear that that is also now being seen as incredibly beneficial it is to the diet it is and i think soy has been misunderstood for a lot of years and mm. i'm a big proponent of soy because there's there have been a lot of studies that show that it is beneficial but i'm also a big proponent of only organic soy because non-organic soy is is generally genetically modified and so that's going to interfere with your gut microbiome because you're because the stuff that you're taking in the reason that it's genetically modified is so that they can load it up with pesticides and those pesticides yes. are toxic to your gut. Yep. And your gut They're bacteria. They're endocrine disruptors. Yeah. They're endocrine disruptors yeah. as well. So you're eating you're eating bug spray. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not not good. No, I mean, I'm I'm aware of that, and I think I'm very wary of soy products because if I don't know they're organic, right. then I know that as a big monocrop that's grown on huge acreage, mm-hmm. um, the chance that it is genetically modified, as you said, yeah. and 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 drenched in Roundup, yeah, exactly, is highly possible. Yeah, highly likely. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if if women are there wanting to have a more optimal menopause from a diet and lifestyle perspective, what would you say the top two, three things are that they can do? Apart dairy, um, drop the weight. I would say and- eliminating the dairy is probably number one. And yeah. then weight and exercise. Are probably yeah. the next two. Yes, and, and that's a very holistic. Then a very holistic way to start. Yeah, your perimenopause. Exactly. And and how how far out, Leslie? Do you think that women should be starting? I mean, maybe that should be what you do for life. But yeah, you know. But really, when when do women really need to be? getting this kind of lifestyle on board. I would say when they're still in their 40s, early 40s. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, that's, and the other yeah. thing that's interesting too, kind of wrapping back around full circle to the the Chinese and the Japanese and some of those other cultures is the fact that the China study also showed that that areas of China where they ate a more traditional diet, the girls there started their menstrual cycles later than the girls in the West in Western cultures, and they went through menopause earlier. So so their average age of menarche, which is starting your period, was 16, 17, 18. And then they were going through menopause in their early 40s. So think in terms of how much less cumulative estrogen exposure that is. And that results in a whole lot less things like breast cancer, ovarian cancer, uterine cancer, all of those hormone-based cancers. So, yeah. yeah. Fasc- fascinating. Whereas I think we are now becoming more accustomed that girls can have a period. They can be 10, yeah. 11. That's becoming more the, the norm. Age, yeah. And then we yeah. are. Yeah, becoming the norm. And then they are in, in obviously going into perimenopause late 40s, but they spent 30, uh, more than 30 years, 35 years, yeah. um, you know, much, much longer than, yeah. than some traditional Asian cultures. Yeah. And it's, wow. you know, it's not the way our bodies were designed. No, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I think, I think we're designed to have a relatively short period of fertility, mm-hmm. maybe 25 yeah. or so years. Yeah. And then, and then basically we're meant to be mat- matriarchs yeah. of, our, <laughs> of our, of our communities. That's right. <laughs> but we've, we've, we've flipped it about a bit mm-hmm. here um, over the, over the generations here in, in the, in the West. We certainly have. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Leslie, I, I love that you've shared some really simple tips and some great, you know, scientific grounding in the reasons behind, you know, why you give the advice that you do. How can people get in touch with you and learn more about the work that you do? Well, the simplest way would be, let's see, what would be the simplest way right now? <laughs> um <laughs> They can actually, one of the things that I offer is I have a kind of a little mini giveaway that I do that they can text. And I'm not sure if that's available. I, skip that. I'm not sure if that's available outside of outside of the U.S. Um, probably the easiest way would be from, from my website, drlesliek.com. That's wonderful. Yeah. And we will put Dr. Leslie K in the show notes so that people can connect with you, uh, learn more about your work and uh, any, you know, sort of free giveaways that you have that they're able to get. I'm sure that people, the listeners here would be very interested. Yeah. What what I was going to say, I'm not hundred percent sure if this is available outside of the States, but if you text the the word wellness to 41259 and follow the prompts it'll get you 30 free days of inspirational text messages. 
And oh, that's one of my little I'm giveaways sure that, that I the do. U- our US, yeah. our North American listeners will be yeah. definitely yeah. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure, like that. I said, I'm not sure if that's available worldwide or not, but I haven't. But definitely yeah. for our US yeah. listeners, there's, there's an extra yeah. special giveaway. And I think inspirational messages, I think we could yeah. all do with those they're, every yeah. day. They're, inspir- <laughs> they're inspirational and they're diet and health oriented. Beautiful. Yeah. That is beautiful. Leslie, thank you so much for coming on Thriving Through Menopause and giving some insight into some of those aspects of diet and lifestyle that we don't talk enough about. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.